Hi, everybody. There's a recording in progress. Uh, happy Victoria Day. And what's a better way to celebrate that queen, Victoria, than looking at the true queen of the Torah? Of course. So we're going to look at, I think, uh, a, a number of texts that I think are especially important to look at in the wake of Shavuos. Um, Shavuos is the end of a lot of things. It is the end of the three holiday cycle that starts, at least with the calendar that we have it nowadays, starts with Sukkot as the first major of the three pilgrimage holidays, then continues into Pesach, and then Pesach initiates its own mini cycle of 50 days that culminates with Shavuos, right? It's the end of the Omer, like we're counting up to Shavuos, and then it's over. You don't have to count the Omer anymore. You don't have any more holidays until the fall. You know, um, so Shavuos really feels like the end. But there's a, a risk with that because Shavuos is the holiday of revelation. And if we think of Shavuos as being the end, then we think of receiving the Torah as just a thing that happened rather than it being the initiating event of a relationship with God. I think that's what Simcha's Torah feels like, a celebration of something. It's framed as a wedding. We're dancing with the Torah. We're excited. And it feels like something is starting again because we're starting the Torah again. But with Shavuos, it's not tied to the lectionary cycle, right? It's just kind of crammed in there. It's not tied to starting the Torah again. It feels like less connected to the event of Revelation. So I want to intervene a little bit and actually try to reconnect the holiday of Shavuot to the event of Matan Torah, to the event of the giving of the Torah. How so? Well, I want us to look at the moment of the reception of the Torah, not just as the climax of the of this story, right, leaving Egypt, and then it culminates in the receiving of the Torah at Sinai. But it's really, I want to say, it's both that climax, it's that culmination, it's that fulfillment of that liberate of the liberation we experienced in, out of Egypt. But on the other hand, it's also not just the ending of something, it's also the initiation of something new. It's the initiation of a new kind of relationship with God, a new kind of way of functioning in the world, preparing us to um, enter the land of Canaan, to have our, you know, to have our own autonomous society, one that is guided by God's principles. So how is the receiving of the Torah both an end and a beginning? Well, luckily, we're going to look at a pasuk that has a very famous, troubling Janus word. A Janus word is like the word January, referring to the Roman fake god, who um, a figure of which was buried underneath the doorposts of Roman homes. Um, it was like their anti-mezuzah. And it was a face that looked both forward and backwards, because every beginning uh, is, is, a new begin is a new beginning's end, or whatever that song is. Right? Every ending is a new beginning, and every beginning is a new end. So the face looks back, the face looks forward, because every, uh, the new year is the end of the old year, but the beginning of a new one. So we're going to look at this pasuk, which has a, a word that functions in the exact same way. A Janus word is both one thing and its opposite. It's the kol gadol velo yasaf. There was a great voice that did not continue, or it did continue. We're going to see. That's where we're going to, that's where we're going to explore. So let's look at the source. Um, great. Okay. Can everyone see that? Okay. Okay, so here's the Pazuk. We're looking at it. It's from uh, the Parsha of the Eschanan. 
and which is, you know, the whole book of Deuteronomy, right? It's called, it's called by the rabbis, Mishneh Torah. It's called, well, the word Deuteronomy is the same thing. It means the Torah, another time, like another, another run through of the Torah. It's like the review of the Torah. It's the spark notes of the Torah. But there's little tweaks that are a little bit different, right? The famous, one of the famous examples is that when in Va'eschanan, it gives us the Ten Commandments again. Instead of saying, Zachor Yom HaShabbos it says, Shamor Yom HaShabbos HaKadoshai. Instead of saying, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, it says, keep the Sabbath and make it holy. So it's like little differences, and that's what the rabbis say. God says one thing, but we hear two. That God's language contains more than just simple human meaning. God's language contains multiple meanings inside of them. God's meaning is explosive, not contained. So here we have this kind of irrepressible or perhaps overwhelming uh, model of revelation. So it says, Esa devarim ha'ele diber Hashem al kol kalchem bahar mitoch ha'esh ha'anan varafel kol gadol velo yasaf vayichtevem malshenei luchos avanim vayitneim e'loi so these words, God spoke to the whole community at the mountain from amidst the fire and the cloud and the darkness. There was a great voice that Yasaf, and we'll look at that word in a second. And Moses inscribed these words on two tablets of stone, famously, and uh, which then, oh, sorry, God inscribed the two, on the two tablets of stone with God's finger. That's the, this is kind of the, well, God's finger. Um, that revelation happened directly. It was written in heavenly script on the tablets. And it says famously in the Gemara, I think in Menachos, that even, that the letters look the same frontwards and backwards. Like if you turned this, the tablet the other way around, it would look the same, which is impossible. So it, it's God. So yeah, God does cool things. Um, so, and then God gave the tablets to Moshe Rabbeinu. So here's this phrase, from the, from the, on the mountain, from the fire, the cloud and the darkness, there was a great voice that did that velo yasaf. So with the word yasaf can either mean to continue, like the word to gather, like lechag uh, asif, right? Uh, the holiday of ingathering. Um, that's what Sukkot is called, because it's a harvest, right? And it's, it's accreting, it's growing. Or it's like the word sof. Like ending, right? So we see the the root here, samech pei. It's either like the word to accrete, to continue, or it means to end. So it's either that it did not continue, or it did not end. It's not clear what it's trying to say in the pshat. What do you think? Before we get into all the meforshim, all the commentaries, blah 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 blah. What would you what do, what do you think? Option A or option B? It didn't continue. Like this, like revelation was something that um, is discrete, or it did not end. Revelation is something that resonates further. And why? What would motivate each of those reasons? No wrong answers. I need something. Yeah. Um, I think it means a voice that did not end, as mm. in, um, 
because God is in it was like a sound that was also like infinite in a way mm-hmm. that was sort of continued on and on and on maybe like the words came Um, okay so you're saying that god being infinite god's self anything that's coming uh, out of god can't be strictly contained if that makes- yes okay yeah great that makes sense okay anyone have any uh want to take the other side no wrong answers Wait, isn't there a right or a wrong answer, though? No. <laughs> the only wrong answer is that there is a right or a wrong answer. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Someone just, for the sake of argument, take the other side. Come on, pretend you're in, like, moot court. You're, someone's arguing for, the other person's arguing against. Okay. Reason for did not continue. Yeah. Um, but I can't think of one. Okay. Because uh, it seems like it's like parsimonious, like God's being like greedy. Like ah, I don't want to. I don't want to say too much. What about be, um, just playing devil's advocate? Would be God spoke, and and that's and what He said, and and what was put down, and that's it, and that's the final word. Okay, so there's a sense of finality to it, right? I mean, imagine, right? This so, like Renee's answer, let's say, is like on the more like woo-woo side in the sense like listen god's infinite you know like everything god says it's it's so it's so much right but then like on the other hand is like um saying like listen this is a revelation to people who need to use it so if it's an unstable object right you can't define it how can you use it as a law code what kind of you know how could you uh, use it to make your society right if it's like still going on Right. There's, you know, there's this argument nowadays in American constitutional law between um, people who argue that the Constitution is, is a living document that does not end. Right. In some ways, it's still growing, still defining itself. And then there's textualists and or originalists like Antonin Scalia and others, more conservative approach, which say that, listen, the, t- the, the Constitution is what the words on the page say. And the best way, the only way we can really understand it is by going to like 18th century dictionaries to figure out what, when people said, you know, these words, when people wrote these words down, what they meant, right? It has a discrete, finite meaning. And we need, to, and if the only way for us to know what it means is to know what it means. Um, so this is, um, uh, you know, famous, like, is, is, is this really, I think, gets at the heart of what it means to have, I think, a religious legal tradition, a, reli- a, a, a tradition of law that's not just about that's not just about um, that's not just about the words on the page, as it were, but it's also um, something that has still a maintained connection uh, to its source. Right, that God's presence in the law is not just something that is. Uh, his, you know, it's not just, you know, the question is like, is God's um, connection as the origin of the law something that is still persistent, right? I.e. is actually God still giving the law in some way? 
and that would mean it did not end? Or is it the case, in a sense, that God's connection to the law is a historical event, it's a point in time, and God gave us some thing, and then that thing is, needs to be defined and understood in, its, in itself. Um, another way also thinking about why it might mean that did not continue is that there's also a tradition, especially in Deuteronomy, that God's revel, I mean, also in Exodus too, that God's revelation is so overwhelming such an overwhelming experience that um, the human that human beings couldn't even contain it, couldn't handle it, and they ha and that the Israelites had to nominate Moses as an intermediary between them. So perhaps actually, like that, it's a great voice that did not continue, in the sense that it was something actually that human beings had only a certain amount of tolerance for. Okay, so now we have the two options, and again, there's no right, there's no wrong. They both are defensible readings of the text. Um, and we're going to look at the different Meforshim, the different commentaries that have uh, that have a take in this. So this is the Rashbam. Rashbam was uh, Rabbi Shmuel ben Meir, was the one of the grandsons of Rashi, and is especially renowned for being a very pshat-oriented Meforsh. Um, um, not only that, he actually is the first, as far as I know, the first rabbi to actually use the term pshat in referring to the nature of his commentary. Rashi, his grandfather, is seen as a pashtan, is seen as a pshat commentary, but interestingly, he actually never uses the phrase pshat. The phrase he uses is pshuto shel mikra, the literal simple sense of the scripture. Um, but his grandson, Rashbam, actually uses the term pshat to refer to uh, what it is that he is uh, doing. So Rashbam is uh, is the scene for people, exact people, Pshat people. He's seen as like the father of Pshat. So, and unlike Rashi, Rashi, while being a Pashtun, it's true, but he is in a sense selecting the Midrashim that Rashi thinks lend the best under um, tools we have to understand the contextual meaning of the text. Whereas Rashbam is not a Midrashic commentary. He's just going based on grammar and going on his own literary readings. So Rashbam is, um, it's a whole cult around Rashbam. People love Rashbam, actually, especially in Toronto. Marty Lukshin um, published the authoritative editions of Rashbam's commentary, which some of which are fragmentary. So good uh, Toronto Meforish. Um, so he says, so he he says, Velo Yasaf, and it does not end or continue. What is it? He says, Shuv Lo Nosaf Kol Gadol Kazeba Olam Lafi Pshuto. Aha, Pshuto. He call Yosaf Lashon Tosefes. He says, Velo Yasaf. What does this mean? I don't know. Okay. He says, Shuv Lo Nosaf. It does not continue. Kol Gadol Kaze, like this great, magnificent powerful voice in this world, Lefip Shuto. Um, never again could there ever be an event as powerful as this. So this is actually what I was saying before just now is that on one hand we've looked at mostly the Hefza, right? We looked at the Torah. But if we actually look at the not Gavra, but if we look at the source of Torah of God and it and God's dialogue partner, human beings, right? For a voice this powerful to exist in the world um it's it's too much 
it's net it, so he doesn't take it as that it never it stopped but rather he says this is a singular event so he takes the word lo yasaf is it was never repeated so we saw yasaf is like to extend its 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 substance right to make it longer to make it more but this is actually saying it was never reiterated nothing like this could ever happen again so he takes lo yasaf to lock down this event as being so transcendently amazing that nothing like it has ever and will ever happen again. And I think that's really in a back, in a, in, in a round the corner kind of way, it's saying something about the nature of revelation that he's, I mean, he's really, Rashbam is really singling out Matan Torah at Sinai as being something unlike anything that has ever been before and unlike anything that ever could be. That there's something special about that contact point with God that's more than just like a chiddish you have or something like that, more than just like sensing God's presence. This was God's full force revelation, right? Which really singled it out as being something radically unique. So shuv lon nosaf kol gadol kazebaolam lefip shuto. That's very interesting. Use that phrase lefip shuto. Um, well, he's saying lefip shuto, saying like, I think it's referring to lo yasaf. He's saying, listen, according to a pshat, according to like the dictionary definition of the word lo yasaf, it means it did not repeat. But I wonder if actually this is even a little ambigu ambiguous. But to say lo kefip shuto, like according to God's radical nature, right? God's purity. God's simplicity, not in the sense of like it's easy, but in the sense of like it's something that's so particularly itself. That God is so God that it could never, like something like that. It's, it's radically unlike anything that's ever happened and can ever happen. So like really singling out the moment of revelation, the event of revelation as something special. And I think that's a really important point, right? Is that it, um, he's focusing our attention on how powerful of a moment this is. Well, let's bring this back to Shavuos, right? Because I know this year's Shavuos, like last year's Shavuos was a different kind of Shavuos. But if we remember what it's like to be kind of like bleary-eyed in the morning, right? To be hearing the giving of the Ten Commandments at Harsinai. I don't know if you know, actually, if you notice this, but um, there's two sets of ta'amim, two sets of tropes for the Ten Commandments in Yisra. There's the upper, Ta'ame Elyon, and there's the lower, Ta'ame Tachton. The Ta'ame Elyon are probably the ones you're most familiar with, even though they're the ones that are kind of weird because they don't follow the verse pattern. They actually follow the commandment pattern. It makes the whole commandment like one big verse. The Ta'ame Tachton are the normal trope, and it goes according to the verses. So you know the upper one because the upper one is the one that's used in shul. So there's this whole like sacred choreography, sacred theater around making the, the restaging of Revelation on Shavuos something that is unique, something that is special, something that's impactful. The, haf, the Haftorah we read is also a moment, it's a Haftorah of revelation. One that actually the rabbis say we're not supposed to read as a Haftorah, but we do it. Uh, you know, it's, it's Ezekiel's prophetic moment of contact with God, another 
overwhelming, synesthetic, um, prophetic experience, right, of, of, of seeing the chariot and its overwhelming sensory nature. So on Shavuos, it's not, you know, you know we, we stay up all night. It's a common tradition. And we learn Torah all night. And there's a, the, one of the ways we understand what the Tikkun Leil Shavuos is, is, you know, you actually kind of do a, a, a speed run of all of Torah. You, like, look at the first verse and the last verse of every book of the Torah, every book of the Tanakh. And then you look at the first Mishnah and last Mishnah of every book of the Mishnah, of every Masechta of the Mishnah. So you kind of, like, just, like, have a sense of, like, having done all of Torah, Right? We've, like, we've done it all. We've, we've received it. We've tasted a little bit of each part of it. And then you're like a kind of like a little tripped out. You're pretty tired. You know, you're like a little woozy. And you, I think part of the point is to try to re-touch. Um, like to get back in touch with what that experience was like. To restage this singular, the moment of revelation. So it's not just about like the process of revelation but to actually get in touch with this moment. And Shavuos, in this way, is about touching that moment. More Simcha's Torah is about Torah, but Shavuos is about Sinai, right? It's about the moment of being given the Torah. It's the gift of the Torah. Simcha's Torah is about Torah itself, but Shavuos is about the moment of receiving the gift. Those are, and that's just, you know, they're related, but they're distinct phenomena and they have different sensibilities to them. Yeah, Renee? Oh, okay, so you unmuted yourself. Um, all right, but when you have a chiddish, please. Um, so so I, th I think so I think Rashbam is, you know, maybe we kind of first resisted this idea that the Yasaf, it did not continue to be kind of like, oh, that like makes me feel a little bit bummed out. But he actually says, no, it, it was never repeated because this was such a special thing that happened. Such a special thing, such a, such a powerful thing, that it was so radically unique, and it should be uh, recognized and treasured for its special qualities. A lovely point. Okay, so here we get to an older point of view from Shmos Rabbah. Although, uh, you know, interestingly, a lot of Shmos Rabbah, the first part of it is from the Amoraic period, but actually a lot of the back half of Shmos Rabbah is, was, was redacted, was edited in the Arashi's time. So, yeah, maybe it's not as old. You know, Midrash, Midrash does not end. The Yasaf Midrash, for sure. It never continues. It never ends. So, Davar Acher. Another idea. So they always have different readings of things. Like, no right or wrong answer. The rabbis agree. So he says, Vayidaber Elohim es kol God spoke all of these matters, saying, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, what does Rabbi Yitzchak think about this? He says, Masha Navim asidim lisnabos becholdor avador kiblu mehar sinai. Oh, he says, Every single thing that the prophets prophesized was originally received at Harsinai. What do we take that to be in terms of like a model of revelation? And how does it, how does Rabbi Yitzchak justify that reading? Remember, the rabbis are readers. Everything they say, they are justifying by hermeneutics, right? The way that they read Torah. So what? What's, how does Rabbi Yitzchak prove himself? What word in this original verse do you think he's, he's lasering in on? God spoke all of these things, saying. Um, I think it means that 
he um, spoke everything that was to come Mm -hmm. and maybe even everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think Rabbi Yitzchak is lasering on the word kol. God spoke all of these words. Kol ha-devarim, ha-ele. Maybe the these too. All of these words. So it's not just um it's not just this one specific verse or this one specific moment he's saying no revelation is actually something that's not just what we see in between parshas yisro and parshas um Bayakel, but revelation is actually something that we see continuing it's holistic it's you know on one hand it's actually a very conservative model in the sense of like everything was already given at sinai right there's nothing new Everything was given to Sinai, and anything the prophet says was already revealed. But on the other hand, it's actually quite a radical point of view in the sense of you only know that after someone prophesizes, right? So there's no, since it's saying it's everything, you can't know everything until you hear everything. So it keeps on representing itself with new things that you had, that maybe were given on Har Sinai, but you don't know that yet. So for you, from a person's eye, from a God's eye view, it's all been given. But from a person's eye view, Torah is never ending. Right? Because once a prophet arises in the ranks, and prophet has to be verified, as we see in Devarim 16, if I remember correctly, and in the Holocaust and the Rambam, right? If a prophet arises in the ranks, you have to, like, test them. You can't just, like, let a false prophet go around. Um, but once you verify the prophet, then, like, Prophecy is prophecy. So it's has it has the same authoritative nature as Torah because it was all given in the same bivatachat. It was all given in the same uh in the same like it's a it's a it's a whole set. It's a full set, right? In like a mathematical terms, right? Full set. It's every single number, every single revelation datum is in that set of Matan Torah at Sina. And we only have exposure to it as it's revealed to us. So on one hand, again, revelation's over, fine. Revelation happened in that one moment. On the other hand, revelation is never ending because we have yet to be presented with the full body of of like the full set of revelatums. So, woo, right? So it's like, it's, 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 that I think actually does touch on what uh, Renee was saying in, in her explanation at the beginning, right? That actually, the Torah is such a so um, so large, right? So broad, so sizable that while God reveals it all to someone like Moses, fine, but like for us to be able to receive it all, it's going to have to be parceled out, and it has to keep, and it's going to keep on reverberating outwards. <laughs> Okay, so let's keep on going with the Midrash because it's not over yet. It says, V'chenu Omer, similarly the Torah says, Esa devarim ha'ela dibar Hashem kol kalchem. Now that's interesting because that is a very similar verse to what we just saw. It's a different verse. It says, all of these words, oh sorry, these words, God spoke to the whole community. So now kol is not actually attached to words anymore. Now kol, all, is connected and modifies your community, your kihila, right? Your your congregation. So now let's go back to this. Kol yasa, a great voice that did not yasaf. We'll leave that ambiguous. Rabbi Yochanan says, Kol echad nechlak leshiva kolos. 
one voice, that God spoke with one voice, but it split into seven voices. And those seven voices split into 70 voices. So one splits into seven, and each of the one of the seven splits into ten. We always have to have our special numbers. Um, but we end up having 70 voices. And one thing we know about, what's, what else is 70 in Torah? 70 nations. 70 angels, one each appointed to each nation. 70 languages, one for each nation. Nation's a bad term for it, but like one for each people. Cultures. Right, 70 is the number that is used by the Torah to refer to the multitude of peoples. So 70 languages, 70 voices of Torah seems to maybe imply that revelation is something that's uni that like reaches universally. It's not saying there are 70 Torahs. There's one Torah. God spoke with one voice. But it is being broadcast in 70 different ways. So Reish Lakish says, Shemimenu nisnabu kol sha'amdu. And from these 70 voices, he's trying to justify what Rabbi Yitzchak just said above. He's saying, and from these 70 voices, that's the grounding of each of the prophecies that the prophets prophesize. So he's saying these 70 voices, it's not, it actually, it's not just stretching out, let's say, in the world, spatially. It's actually reaching out, even beaming into the future. It's beaming through time, right? So that when the prophets prophesize, it's, they're actually, they're like transmitters, radio transmitters, like receiving the, the beam of Torah, of revelation to their brains. So the moment of, so this subtly, in a way, is opposed to this. Rashbam says it was never repeated because it was such an amazing singular moment. I'm not saying it's an exact contradiction, but it's interesting that for Reish Lakish, it is an originary event, originating event. It's an origin story. It's an explosion of Torah that scatters outward like Lahavdil Elif Abdullah, like a like a cluster bomb. Right? Like poof, out. Torah is spreading outwards like like the opposite of shrapnel, but like spreading in that kind of way. Right? And reaching throughout time and space. Such that it is the what the it, so revelation happens again and again and again and again and again. But Josh, can I clarify something? Sure. Um, is it that we're not in the time of prophecy anymore, though? I had heard that said before. Yeah, so the gates of prophecy have closed. When did that happen? Kind of. Sorry. <laughs> what does it kind of like? That's confusing in that way. Like, is it or isn't it? A, I'll say shortly, yes. So the, the classical understanding is that classical prophecy has closed. The closing of the gates of prophecy, as the rabbis call it, um, happened at the time of Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. Those are the last three prophets. Uh, and they're the last three prophets we see in the Tanakh. So that happens in the Persian period, if I remember correctly. Um, fifth century, sixth century, sixth century maybe? Um, but that's true. So classical prophecy has ceased, except as um, as I think we've I, I've gestured to, but haven't actually gone into too deeply in our classes on Kabbalah. A lot of medieval philosophy and mysticism uses the term prophet to refer to the state that they're trying to reach. So they do think that prophecy, and we see this even as late as as the Mesilas Sharim of the Ramchal 
that they think that the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, is still accessible to people. The difference is, I think they would say, listen, we're not prophets like they were prophets. Classical prophets, God initiates that relationship, right? Like God bestows prophecy on the prophet. Although even in the Tanakh, we see actually uh, in Malachim, we see a prophet like induce a state of prophecy through playing music. So it seems like, but like the big prophets, the literary prophets, right? God spoke through them, kind of like how God reveals the Torah to Moses, you know, from, from above down below. But for the medieval, mystical, philosophical model, prophecy is attained through human achievement, right? By like us, so it's from down up above. You ascend to a state of conjunction with God, right? Attaching yourself to God in Dvekut, or as Rambam would say, to attach, to attach yourself to the, to the active intellect, to God's mind. Um, so yes, the gates of prophecy are closed technically, but also we have models for how, um, how Torah continues, uh, even today. There's a text, um, I will conclude with at the end of the shear that I forgot to put in and maybe I'll do a little bit of source sheet editing live. You know, watch what happens live. Um, so maybe we'll find it. So I'll leave that there. But I wanna, I wanna leave that like a productively ambiguous sentiment. So it's, I'll, I'll be very clear though. We don't have a new Torah, right? That's the main distinction with Christianity. Rabbis have a model of, of a revelation of two Torahs. But for us, it's the written Torah and the oral Torah. Not, right, and they were both given at Sinai. Right, that's very clear in Perkeavos. The Christian model is that there was Torah, right? There was the Bible. And then there's like Bible two electric boogaloo, right? There's a second Bible and it like retcons the rest of the Bible. For us, it is more complementary than it is um, supersessionist in the sense that there's the written Torah and it is the foundation of everything. Oral Torah helps us understand like it gives us a, a way to understand it. It gives us the lenses that we need to unpack its meaning. And, and in that way, oral Torah is generative because it produces meaning. It doesn't just fix itself like a new written text. Um, okay, so that's Rish Lakish. Rish Lakish says that these seven voices that split into 70 voices end up beaming all across space-time and end up triggering revelation throughout history until the gates of prophecy close, maybe. But then Rabbanon come around and say, and here's the maybe, Rabbanon being just like the anonymous consensual voice of just like the rest of the rabbis who are around, said, Rabbanon Amre, Shiloi haya lo basko. So, here we have a repetition of this, um, of this tension. Rabbi Shimon says revelation resonates. He says revelation happens, right? It explodes and shock waves are felt throughout human, like uh, throughout space time. It reverberates. It's like, the, it's like, it's like imagine two planets getting close to each other and their gravitational forces like warp space time. Right? That's what to that's what Revelation is like. He agrees. Revelation is an incredible event. He agrees with Rashbam. Rashbam's later, but whatever. He agrees with Rashbam. 
Revelation was amazing. So amazing, it changed the universe, right? By like beaming Torah throughout space and time um, into the future. Whereas the rabbis say, what's special here is that God's voice did not echo. Baskol means literally daughter of a voice, but idiomatically means an echo. Further idiomatically, it comes to mean in rabbinic literature, um, a kind of revelation, a, a, an echo of revelation. So back to Shosh's question. Yes, the gates of prophecy close. The rabbis are very clear about that, except that they do see themselves as still being able to hear a baskol. Now, a baskol is not just the literal echo of what was said at Sinai. Baskol is the, is the term that the rabbis use for God's further communication with humankind. But it seems like the rabbis see themselves as kind of being like after the golden age, right? They don't see themselves as being prophets. The rabbis are not pro they do not see themselves as prophets. Um, unlike the Dead Sea Scrolls community, the Qumran communities, who wrote what was called Psharim, um, kind of like apocalyptic commentaries on prophetic texts, like writing commentaries on prophecies like Ezekiel, Isaiah, etc., <laughs> saying like, oh, it's about now. I'm writing a commentary that's saying it's about right now. This prophecy is happening now. The rabbis didn't do that. They weren't apocalyptic in that kind of way. They related to all of Torah as always being true, but never being specific in that kind of way, at least when it comes to prophecies. And prophecies gesture towards a future that is yet to come. Prophecies are ambiguous, ambivalent, right? And in that way, they have what to teach us now, but they're not telling us to like, you know, like put all your money in this, in like Bitcoin or something like that, right? That's not like, that's not what Torah is doing. Torah is not Nostradamus. Torah is wisdom, not, um, not, not stock tips, right? If Torah was just like something that could be satisfied, then Torah would end, right? Torah would be over once the prophecy came true. And that's why they say, no, the prophecies are about the end of time, right? Torah will be done when time is over. Right when so what is Torah then? Actually, Torah extends throughout all of human history. Right, Torah keeps on being true. Now you can say, fine, Torah, in its discrete form, revelation is over, but Torah continues. Okay, fine. So we have like again this repetition of this tension. Rish Lakish is saying revelation is something that resonates, reiterates, fractures and replicates, whereas Rabbanan, I think maybe like. The precedent for what Rashbam said above, say this is actually this is something that's very interesting. Revelation at Sinai does not resonate. It has to be a discrete moment. It's not. I think I wonder if like they're trying to say like because you need to, you need to receive it, and thus it needs to be receivable, and it can't be receivable if it is just zooming all over the place and like splitting into a zillion pieces. It's not echoing. Which means why? What do you have with the revelation? So the Rabbanan? Clarity. But something clear is something discrete. Right? Something with a clear beginning and a middle and an end.
So it's more of a pragmatic model of revelation. And it distinguishes, in a sense, between, again, the originary moment and further divine communication of these echoes. Okay, so here we have a tussle, right, uh, about the moment. Was the moment of revelation something that was discrete at a clear beginning and an end? Or is revelation something that's explosive and resonant, something that begins but then doesn't end? And we see either Reish Lakish saying, like prophecy, you know, the seven to 70 voices. And then above, we even saw Rabbi Yitzchak said, all prophecy was revealed at Sinai, meaning it was all revealed to Moses, but it's revealed to the rest of us later. So we keep on having these like mini Sinais down the road as prophets reveal themselves. Okay, so we have models, right? We have a model of let's say the most conservative model is Rabbanan, who say that the revelation happened point X, that's revelation, no echo, that's it, Torah, Re revelation, over, done. Then let's say Rashbam's a little bit more, a little bit more loose and says, revelation was so singular, it never happened again. But he's not just, he's not like defining its beginning and end, but he's saying it's something that was not, it was not repeatable. It cannot happen again. And then we have, I think, Rebbe, I think we're at uh, Reish Lakish saying it splits into 770 and zooms out into the rest of the prophets. And then I think the most, I think ultimately the most radical position of Revelation is Revelation is total. It is holistic, contains everything ever God will ever, would ever say to us. Which again, on one hand, you could say that's actually identical with Rabbanan, but I want to say that another way of reading it is that it is something that keeps on unfolding as we become further aware of it. Okay, so let's look at Tzvas Emes, and we'll see where, in a sense, he might actually wants us to, instead of like relitigating the event at Sinai, he wants to actually bring our attention back to Torah itself. So he says, and this is his uh, commentary on Aikif. He says, Ha'inyan hu, What does it mean when it says, Im shama'atishma'u? Right, we know that from, you know. If you, if, you, if you truly listen, right, to the words of Torah, Rashi says, Shamua b'yoshan tishma b'chadash. He says, Shamua, old. Yashan, like Kemach Yashan, old flower, right? Shamoa, you've heard what has been said. Tishma, you will hear in of new statements, new Torah, new words. So Shamoa is past participle. Tishma is the future tense, right? Shamoa is what has been heard. Tishma is you will hear. We see how the grammar orients our perspective in new ways. So what you've heard and what you will hear. The Indian who, and this, the idea is, the Kosuf, as it's written, Kol Gadol Velo Yasaf. Ah, our verse is back. It was a great voice that did not Yasaf. Lo Pasak. He says, what does Lo Yasaf mean? It never ended. 
Because even, right, we haven't seen that happen yet. Ray Schlocky said there were 70. That's still a number. Rebbe Yitzchak, who I want to say is like a radical version, but still, it's a, it's a totalizing version. It did end at Sinai, but we're hearing about it later. But Sfasemes says it was a great voice that never ended. That's not even an echo. That's the voice that never ends. The, like, if the actual source voice never stopped. What breaths of worth? Kibyachu. Ki hadivarim chayim vekayamim. Because the words are alive and are sustained. They exist. Vakarshbarachu noisein haTorah tamid. God eternally gives the Torah. God is giving the Torah always. Achen, kifi kiyum ha-Torah ve-mitzvos kein yechoilin lishmoa chadashos bechol es. Accordingly, according to the keeping of Torah, the fulfilling of Torah and of the mitzvos, one is able to hear new things in every moment. Gewalt. So what, how, where does Sfas MS relocate the site of revelation? He moves it. I mean, this is the one that really is against Rashbam. Because Rashbam is saying, moment of revelation, like being at the mountain, if you weren't there, you really missed out. Because boy, oh boy, Harsinai Fest 1000, no, 800? was a uh, uh, 1200s BCE was amazing right you had to have been there if you weren't there you did you, you couldn't even understand for him it's really about like and I and we get it we we, we went into why right really trying to actually like cultivate a, a, a sense of how important and unique that moment was but the Sfasemis pushes back and says no the power of Torah and the power of God is that that moment in a sense is not unique. It's just the first in a series. It is the first of other moments of revelation you will have. Now, yes, again, we have to qualify this. You are not empowered to write a new Torah. There is one Torah. But it is being revealed to you constantly. Because the more you engage with it, the more it says to you, the more ideas it communicates to you, the more ways of relating to it, it communicates to you, the more ways Torah can mean reveal themselves to you. So the site of revelation moves from being a historical event at Har Sinai to being at our own little Sinai every time we crack open a Sefer every time we go to shul, right? every time that we learn with a friend on, on Zoom, 
whatever it is. That revelation is a re it is is a reiterative event. It keeps on happening again and again and again. The Torah doesn't stop speaking. Lo yasaf, lo pasak, does not cease. Um, it is a source I want to add, but I think I'll just give it after because I have to find it. Um, but I'll say it outside. Um, the Taz, the Turizov, one of the classical commentators on the Shulchan Aruch, right? It's not a book you go to for like spirituality, but you're wrong because the halacha is spirituality. Uh, he, the, the, the question is, and he's not, he's not just the, he's not the only one who says this, and the Sfasemis is hinting at this point, but I want to say it explicitly. The Shaila he's asking is, why is it that when we say Birkas Satayra, when we say the blessing of the Torah, when you're called to an aliyah, why doesn't it say, Baruch Hashem, Nasan HaTorah? Why doesn't it say, Blessed are you, God, who gave the Torah? Right? God gave the Torah at Sinai. Right? Is what Rashbam said. According to Pshat, Lo Nosaf, it did not, it never happened again. Lo, Baruch Hashem, Natan HaTorah. God gave the Torah. And he says, no. He says, it has to be noise in the Torah. God gives the Torah. Why? He says, Because it says, I think pushing even the Svasemis a little bit further, he says, it's not just you learn Torah and you hear new things. God is giving the Torah constantly in every moment. So we say when we when we are having when we take the aliyah for the Torah, we're not just paying homage to a special thing that happened in the past, which we have no direct access to. We are maintaining an active, alive, dynamic connection with an active, alive, dynamic Torah. A Torah that is alive, the words that vibrate still the words that resonate and and radiate still um so that is i would say the other side of the equation so just to summarize before we close so i think what we have here are two different models based in again the hermeneutics like the reading of this verse lo yasaf and i think they really both have what to tell us and especially both in terms of understanding shavuos and also understanding our relationship to torah so let's say the more conservative version of there's a great voice that did not continue that there's something a special about singling out the specialness of that event of connection between us and God the unique quality of what it was like at Sinai um, and thus Shavuos is about trying to reconnect us through through our ritual through our cyclical time you know calendar to that moment. It's Zman Matan Torah Tenu. It's the time of the giving of the Torah. And we reconnect to this catalyzing event. So the specialness of that event is something worth treasuring and is, is worth paying attention to. But we run the risk then of disempowering ourselves, seeing us as, while we might remember that event or recall what it was like or, or restage it, we're of a lower character. We're of a lower grade because we weren't really there. We see that model nowadays, especially in like permission to receive the book. It says, you know, like, it's a game of telephone, and people who are closer to the source have a more accurate reception of it. And Sfasemis wouldn't agree with that. Sfasemis is the most radical version of the other side, saying, no, what 
giving the Torah was was a moment of cat of um of, it was a catalyst. It was catalyzing something. It was making a chain reaction. It wasn't a game of telephone where it gets weaker as it goes on. It gets stronger as things explode and and radiate and shine for us even brighter than it ever was before. The Torah is not something that fades with time, but it's actually something that grows with time. And for that, I think what we have is a different aspect of Shavuos, namely that it's not about, you know, on one hand, we have these beautiful rituals of like having flowers on the bima to make it look like Harsinai, because Harsinai was like exploding in flowers, beautiful images. So on one hand, we want to we want to treasure the Sinai moment. But on the other hand, in the Tikkun Leil Shavuos and other ways, we show that actually our real commitment to Torah isn't just homage to a historical moment. It's a continued, committed, and enthusiastic relationship to the alive dynamic Torah that we have received. That Torah is something that we persist in having a relationship with because Torah continues to reveal itself to us, continues to give us new ways to understand it and new ways to relate ourselves to it. So there we have, I think, you know, it's always the case. There's no right or wrong and I really meant it, not just in terms of like taking a side, but they both have something to teach us to treasure the moment as something special, but also to invest ourselves in a relationship into what else, into what other ways that we can devote ourselves to it and the ways that it shows itself to us. And, uh, and considering the eternity of Torah and the eternity of God, it's a process that will never end. Baruch Hashem. Yashikach. Thank you so much for joining. Sun has set. Everything is very faded and dark and grainy. Um, there we go. Uh, thank you so much for joining for the learning post Shavuos class. Um, it's always post Shavuos. We're always after receiving the Torah, but Torah keeps on happening. So um, we will have our next Parsha chat Thursday evening at 7.30, looking at the Parsha of Baha'u'llah, um, menorahs, trumpets, all kinds of cool stuff. Meat coming out of your nose. Um, and uh, we'll have a Kabbalah Shabbos Friday evening at 7.30, a Havdalah probably around 9.50 on Saturday evening. And then uh, keep your eyes peeled for announcement for a new series, uh, which I, I will be in the process of preparing. Please feel free to reach out via email if you have texts or um, people or ideas or themes that you'd be passionate about learning. Um, and I'm excited to see what else we could do together. Uh, also keep your eyes peeled because uh, soon, God willing, uh, Mirza Shem Kanahara will be meeting again in person in uh, at Beth Lita, uh, for shul. So if you want to see other people um, and have a, a lovely, pleasant experience praying in our lovely, pleasant backyard, then uh, you'll have opportunities uh, in June. We'll be uh, re-meeting again. Blaine Edder, I'll keep you posted on that. So thanks so much for joining. Have a great night. Have a good night. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Josh.